We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, guys? Rob Dawson here. I just wanted to let you know that we have a new show on the Field of 68 called Fielding the 68, a bracket breakdown show that will be an hour long airing every Monday and Friday at 5.30 p.m. streaming on our YouTube channel and on X. The audio will be dropped into the Field of 68 After Dark podcast feed Monday evenings and Friday evenings. If you do enjoy that show, this is the first episode right here, so make sure you subscribe to the Field of 68 After Dark YouTube channel and podcast feed i will drop those links in the description below it is the best bracketologist that you are going to find on the internet i promise you that much so without further ado let's get into that first episode of the 2024 season fielding the 68 ladies and gentlemen welcome to your favorite bracketology show in the college basketball internet world i'm greg waddell we got lucas harkins we got rocco miller here today and welcome back to the Fielding the 68 Bracketology Show here on the Field of 68 Network. First of all, round of applause, gentlemen, for that intro package. To those of you who are familiar with the show historically, uh, yeah, I haven't seen that before. It looked incredible. Shout out to the producers here at the Field of 68, making it look great. But uh, as I mentioned, Lucas Harkins, Rocco Miller in the building. Uh, we've got a great team here, these two being two of our superstars, alongside Andy Bottoms and Brad Wachtel who will be here with me and Kevin Sweeney all season long, giving you everything you need to know from a bracketology standpoint leading up to the NCAA tournament in March. Gentlemen, as always, it's good to see your face. Rocco, I want to throw it to you first. How you doing, man? How's it feel to be back here on Fielding the 68? Feels great, Greg. It's like we never left. You know, how the heck has 10 months gone by since last March? That's what I want to know. Uh, no, it's, it's been incredible. Um, Season's been going now for what eleven weeks or so, and I think I've seen some something like sixty teams in twenty-three different leagues, and uh, ready to kind of put all the notes together and see what we got. So I'm excited. Uh, Lucas is one of the best. It's great to be on with you as well, and uh, let's ride. Lucas, how are you feeling today, my friend? Doing well. I've seen far fewer than sixty teams live. That's for sure. Um, but, but plenty on TV. Um, always good to be on the call with, with, with Rocco as well. Uh, does a great job and excited to get going into this year. It should be a blast. Like we said, the way this show works, Monday and Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, we will be here for around an hour every single week, giving you the latest you need to know. Now, as you can imagine, with two shows a week, oftentimes what that will look like, Monday shows may be a little bit of, hey, what happened this weekend? Friday shows may be a little bit of what's on the radar, what are we looking for? But in general, the way this show is going to work, we'll have two bracketology experts alongside a host, and the two experts will unveil every episode their number one seeds, their last four in, their first four in. We'll take a look at the bubble, and we'll preview some games to watch, along with any national narratives, any specific storylines that are of specific importance to these bracketology experts as they're doing the hard work, making sure that their brackets are ready for March. Uh, the show is prevent presented, by the way, by Rhythm, our friends at Rhythm. So thank you for having us, Rhythm. Uh, and gentlemen, this season has been a unique one. Last year, it was the year of the big. And then we got to the final four and there was San Diego State. There was Florida Atlantic. There was chaos, right? Ultimately, UConn 
uh, emerged as an obvious champion in hindsight, but they were a four seed. Even coming into the NCAA tournament, they were clearly a team that was a little bit, quote, underseeded. As we turn the page to this year, now that we're almost at the end of January, what has been the overall story of this season to you, Lucas? You know, for one, it's just good to have college hoops back. It kind of always feels that way when you get to this time of year um, is how much you missed it, the, the, the months that you didn't have it, uh, especially as we get into bracketology stuff. And there's actual data points to go on and talk about, and there's games to discuss. And quite frankly, there's been a lot of really nice stuff this year. I mean, seeing North Carolina really bounce back from what was one of the most disappointing years in the country um, last year, seeing UConn come back from its national title and look just as good. Um, and right in the conversation to be another national title team this year. Uh, I think you've seen a lot of really talented mid-majors jump out early. Princeton's been phenomenal, great on the road. Indiana State's been really good. Um, There's a lot of these teams that have been really interesting. There's been a lot of really good storylines kind of across uh, all 32 conferences this year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, a couple interesting teams there in the midst of that um one that popped up in my mind from where last season ended was florida atlantic a team that came into the season nobody knew where to rank them right are they a top 10 team are they not even a top 25 team i still don't feel like we know as we watch their games play out we're probably going to hit on that team a little more later in the show uh but rocco what has been the the broad takeaway for you on the season at large yeah, to me, it's conference realignment. You know, it's a lot of shakeups across college basketball, and it starts right at the top in the best league, the Big 12. For one year only, is going to be a 14-team league, so that's what we're experiencing. Four new t- newcomers came in uh, between UCF, of course, Houston, a dominant program, BYU, an interesting program, and Cincinnati. Um, so uh, those four added to the mix of the, the solid 10 that we got used to over several years now has really um, – uh, it started to dictate what the 36 at large team picture looks like. And um, my biggest question coming into the year was what is a deeper league up to 14 teams? And what is that going to do to their numbers? We haven't really seen the full impact yet. It's still pretty early in conference play, but in non-conference play outside of uh, two pretty big flops between West Virginia and Oklahoma state, um, the other 12 have held up really well. So if that can continue, um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, ro- what we call roadwind exchanging going on and, and bu- beefing up these profiles. Um, so I, I just think that's phenomenal. Uh, and, and it's really sets the tone for how many bids are left over for the other 31 leagues, uh, at least from a net large standpoint. And then, you know, even going deeper to that Florida Atlantic example, the American conference this year is so much different than it ever was before, you know, losing three of those teams to the big 12, adding six conference USA teams, including, FAU and a really solid North Texas and Charlotte's playing well, you know, that's really impacted how that league's playing out. We'll talk about Memphis later on the show and they're having all sorts of problems in this new American conference, uh, losing to South Florida, for example, uh, and Tulane, two teams that were there before. But again, it's, it's a little bit of a juggernaut. The way they've scheduled that league is completely different than any other league and realignments impacted some other leagues as well. So we'll get into that as we go, but I think that's the big story. Yeah. Um, do I dare say 12-bid league, Rocco? Am I allowed to hint at that for the Big 12? Is that getting a little out of myself? I think I think it is. You know, I think we had a similar discussion last year. You can fantasize all you want. I'm not going to stop you. But um, the reality is these teams have two game days a week. There's seven teams playing seven other teams. So seven games every game day. Somebody's got to lose each day. Eventually, it's going to be a war of attrition. And history tells us once you hit that 15th loss or more, you're probably out. Yeah, a man can dream, Rocco. Lucas, I saw you shaking your head. Uh, While while on one end of the spectrum, we have the Big 12 that looks so deep with a thousand potential NCAA tournament teams. I want to go out west to the Pac-12 briefly, where, uh, as Rocco mentions, realignment. That's one of the leagues that's going to get hit harder than any other major conference in the sport. We are a year away from the Pac-12 no longer being what it currently is. And in the final iteration of the Pac-12 that I grew up with, we're about to see a league that might have one, maybe two tournament teams. Is is that a fair assessment of how you would view the Pac-12 right now, Lucas? I mean, Arizona's a lock. I do feel pretty good um, about where Utah is right now. I think they put themselves in a pretty good position. Um, and there's a few teams that's kind of fighting there. Oregon's played pretty well of late. Washington State's still in the mix. 
Um, Colorado's still in the mix. Like, I think there's, I think there's more likely to get three than anything. Um, but I think I feel best about Arizona and Utah. All right. Well, I thank you both for uh, your broad look at where we are as a, a state of college basketball union as we kick off this season of Fielding the 68. Later in this show, we are going to deep dive a little bit more on the Big 12 to actually pinpoint how many bids we think this league can get. We've got some team hitters that we specifically want to talk about, Memphis being one that we've already mentioned, and a couple more that we'll keep secret until the end of the show. Uh, as I mentioned, these guys are going to give us their bubble teams, their last four in, their first four in. Uh, what teams are hard to see? That's another conversation we'll have. But first, we're going to start with the number one seeds. Uh, Lucas, we will go to you first, and then Rocco will get yours. The way this works, every single week, every time there's an episode of this show, we ask our experts to give us a seed list. That's how this works. They're doing the work behind the scenes. They deliver it to our production team before the show. Uh, I haven't seen this yet, so it's going to be unveiled to me the same time it's unveiled to you. Lucas, I'll turn it over to you first. Give us your number one seeds as of today. So my number one seeds coming into today, I'm looking at Purdue, UConn, Houston, and North Carolina. Um, I think the first three are in pretty good shape on that line. As of right now, Purdue has been arguably the best team throughout this season so far. They're 11-2 and two across the upper two quadrants. They're number one or two in every single major metric that's that's out there. Houston's similarly fantastic across being number one in BPI and Ken Palm. Uh, four and two in quad one. They don't have a loss outside of there. Uh, North Carolina has really put itself into good space over the last few weeks. They're playing extremely good basketball. Um, and UConn's just kind of riding that high of being just finishing off that national championship last year, coming back and being really good again this year. Uh, they're top 10 across every metric except BPI. They're six and two in quad one, three of those wins being quad one A. Uh, I think the Huskies are really, really good. Um, and I think they're the ones that are probably the front runner. Um, from that Big East to kind of be in contention for the one spot. Defending champs going to do what defending champs do, according to Lucas Harkins. Uh, Rocco, let's see your number one seeds. Yeah, mostly on the same page here with Lucas. Uh, Purdue number one, uh, mainly because they've got wins over Arizona, Alabama, Tennessee, and Marquette. Those are all four top-notch teams, um, all on neutral courts, I might add. And uh, five overall, uh, what we would call elite wins in quad one, the top half of quad one or quad one A, if you will. And uh, that compares a little bit favorably to UConn's three. However, UConn as well, uh, a very strong profile, safely in that number two spot. I made the adjustment over the weekend to move North Carolina to third overall and Houston fourth. That's really the only difference uh, is the, the pecking order. And, um, you know, in real life, that would put North Carolina in Dallas and send Houston to Los Angeles. Um, but the reason for it is there's only three undefeated teams left uh, in college basketball in true road games. North Carolina is the only one left in power conference play, and they, they moved to 4-0 with a road win at Boston College. Uh, that, to me, is very impressive. They're doing an incredible job resume-wise, uh, building up the wins, whereas Houston's uh, getting kind of that de facto number one seed, maybe maybe not as much through their merits, but just through their performances. They're they're number one in virtually every rating system, whether it's the net or Ken Palm or what have you. Um, so I think we all believe they belong as a one seed. But um, if you're going to give the, the rewards to the teams with the merits, I think the Tar Heels have a little bit more merit at this point. So as I mentioned before, I threw it to these guys for their one seed unveiling. Uh, the way this works, they all individually send us their seed listings. That can lead to a consensus bracket, which we will be putting out every time there's an episode of this show. Uh, it may look different than either one of these guys individually. Thus far, they've been pretty aligned, although a, a little bit of flip-flopping the order. Let's look at the consensus fielding the 68 one seeds. No surprises here, guys. You guys nailed the teams, Purdue, UConn, North Carolina and Houston. Uh, it looks like that North Carolina-Houston head-to-head, they're siding with Rocco, but I want to drill into this a little bit deeper. Uh, Lucas, let's throw it to you first. Why do you have Houston ahead of North Carolina? So I think for me, I put a, when I look at metric side of things, I, I put a little bit more heavier emphasis on resume metrics like the KPI or strength of record when it comes to selection. Um, and a bit more on for seeding, a bit more emphasis on the on the Ken Palm and the BPI. And right now, uh, Houston's number one in both of those spots. Uh, they're two and two in Quad One A. North Carolina is three and two. There's not much of a difference there. I think that the edge I give right now is to Houston for having 
truly elite, elite metrics, uh, whereas North Carolina is averaging a nine and a half across those two spots. But both on the one line, I don't have a problem going either way. Um, but for that, I, for being at the top of the line, I think I side with the, the metrics that are um, in favor of the highest efficiency group. Okay. So you both had Purdue at the very top of this list um, as a Big Ten guy. Myself, you love to see that. At least we're doing something right. Uh, how close, Rocco, is Purdue to not being the number one overall seed right now? Is there some separation at the top? It's a little like I mentioned earlier. You know, they have they have five quad one A wins to to UConn's three. When you when you're comparing the two best teams in the country, it, it's really and I I think they are the these two are the clear top two. So. There's really not a lot of separators. So if Purdue went cold for a week, I'm sure that'd be enough to put UConn above them, assuming UConn took care of their own business. Um, but yeah, for today, I think there is enough separation between not only the, the high-end wins uh, separation, but every category, um, Purdue's a little bit better. If you look at just quad one, Purdue seven and one to UConn six and two. If you look at the top two quadrants, it's 11 and two to nine and two. If you look at the top three quadrants, Purdue's actually played 16 qualified games and a 14 and two record to uh, UConn's nine and two, so five more uh, little pieces of evidence that starts to add up when you're doing a direct comparison like that. And they've got one additional win away from home compared to UConn. So virtually every place you want to compare, also in Lucas's case, like with the metrics, uh, both on the resume side and the performance side, Purdue is stronger on both. So it's, it's very clear kind of all the categories to look at Yeah, that, uh, that Purdue's the choice as, to, as it is it's interesting comparing it to uh, the AP poll for me. Obviously, you know, bracketology does not work the same way the polls work. I think we should all be thankful of that, quite frankly. But uh, right now, as of January 22nd, today, our top four seeds are the same top four teams in the AP poll currently, UConn, Purdue, North Carolina, and Houston. Of course, UConn is the number one team in the AP poll. Purdue is our number one team here, or at least your two number one team here. Um, it, I think part of why UConn's number one, at least my read of the polls, is it's just recency, right? They haven't lost as recently as Purdue has. Is that a fair read on how the polls work, Lucas? And does that play any part at all in how you factor in the resumes for the NCAA tournament seed lists? Well, oh, for one, I think that the recency does play a factor in, in the AP poll, and I, don't, and I think it should, too. Um, I think they're as much of a snapshot as anything of who's playing the best right now. And I think UConn's playing outstanding basketball and well-deserving um, of being number one. And I also, if they're not number one, they should be number two. And I don't see any argument otherwise for Purdue. If they're not two, they should be one. Um, and as far as how that plays into bracketology, it doesn't. I mean, if it does, then, then we get a little bit too reactionary. And that's when you cause problems because eventually you're going to have to adjust for being overly reactionary. And you'd rather be as consistent throughout your process from January 5th through March 15th. You want to be as consistent as you can be. If you're super reactive, eventually you're going to have to make an overreaction to something that you don't need to. Rocco, there's one team out of these four that has missed their best player for much of the season. That's UConn. It's Donovan Klingon. How do you factor in the fact that he missed a lot of their early season games and where they belong on this list? Yeah, I think as long as he returns and he has now, um, it's not going to be as big of a factor down the down the stretch because assuming he maintains his health throughout the year, the main thing where injury comes into play for the committee is if you're going into the NCAA tournament with a new set of circumstances, either without a player or a player returning. If you had a player go down for a while and he came back throughout the season, you still have enough results between now and Selection Sunday to know what you're signing up for, what you're bringing to the table. So really no big deal there. You kind of just treat the results the same way. Um, and again, if you're in a situation where, you know, UConn is uh, on the border of a one or a two seed and they lost a game or two without clinging, sure, that could be brought up and that could be a differentiator, but it would have to be something where uh, they were razor thin margins between them and another team they're being compared to. Otherwise, I really don't think it's uh, going to be discussed too much based on the timing of it. Okay. Um, quick hitter, one team from each of you guys that's the closest to the one line. Who is it? Lucas, who you got? Tennessee. Rocco? I have Arizona. And, and primarily because they, they they have the second most high quad 1A wins at, at four. So even though they've had some ugly performances, their loss at Stanford really stands out as a bad one. 
Um, they, they've had those big wins, and those aren't going anywhere. So if Arizona can continue to, to – you know, they didn't play well last week either, but uh, win at a big level in the Pac-12, dominate the league, I think they'll be in position to assume the one-seed line. Interesting. All right. So we could hear some change, guys. Uh, it should be fun in the coming days to monitor. Coming up, we're going to talk about the bubble, the last four in, the first four out. That's next on Fielding the 68. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Fielding the 68, your favorite bracketology show. I'm Greg Waddell. Today I've got Rocco Miller. I've got Lucas Harkins with me. We just broke down our one seed lines. Uh, surprise, surprise. These guys are dialed in in midseason form. They've locked in the same four teams. We now move to the bubble. We'll see if there's a little bit more discrepancy between where these two's heads are at. Uh, let's start with our last four in. As I mentioned for the one seeds, if you just joined the show, how this works, both these guys give us their research, their seed lines before the show. That's kept private to me. So I'm seeing this at the first time that anybody is watching this is seeing this. We'll have Rocco go first. Then we'll go to Lucas, and then we'll give you our consensus last four in. Rocco, who are your last four teams in as of today? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I, I did project Oregon as the Pac-12 auto bid uh, in my real bracket. But for this exercise, we're going to consider them the first team out. Um, so with that being said, without going into too many more uh, details on that, 
Um, my last four were uh, Nebraska, Syracuse, James Madison, and Michigan State. And wow. we can we can go into each of those teams. So Nebraska, of course, just came off of the um, the big win over Northwestern at home. I have a lot of agita when it comes to Nebraska and their 321st ranked non-conference strength of schedule. However, the road win at Kansas State is a very impressive one, a 16-point road win. The home win over Purdue is the best home win money can buy. Also, considering that Michigan State is a uh, tournament-level team at this point, just barely, that's another secondary win. And Northwestern was uh, a, a tournament team just a week ago, uh, at least for me. Um, so those are four really solid wins for the Huskers. Again, I think it's really razor thin. I don't like their two and four road record uh, away and neutral record combined. Um, again, the, the schedules are really poor strength of schedule. They would not want to be in this situation at the end of the season. Uh, but otherwise, you know, the resume grades out in the top 40. That's a typically a good place to be. And uh, so I'm good with the Huskers. On Syracuse, a little bit surprised. They made it all the way in today. I had them uh, pretty clearly out on Friday course over the weekend they hit the buzzer beater knock off Miami um, and again they're just one in five in their biggest six games their best win is either the neutral Oregon win or, or the sweep over Pitt or the win over Miami but every other game they've played they've won they had they don't have the bad loss and that's really really helped their resume they have a top 25 resume um, and I and they have a really clean strength of schedule compared to a lot of the competition in the top 100 um, and so it just became one of those things where Syracuse just kept showing up, showing up, showing up, and eventually made their, their way in through my long process that I go through. And then with James Madison, <clears throat> it's funny, it came down to James Madison and Michigan State. There was room for both of them. I don't know how you can compare the two without putting James Madison above them since they won there, and they don't have a lot of data to go off of. Um, James Madison has a supplementary road win at Louisiana, a game that I was at. Crazy little skirmish there at the end of the game, but James Madison got that win. That gives them a second quad, a top two quad road win. Uh, again, not a lot of data on this team, but a top 40 resume and only two losses overall. Uh, really nowhere else to put them, but but in when compared to a lot of other options that have, that have a lot of bad losses. And then Michigan State barely gets in. Of course, their performance metrics are great. To, uh, 21st in the net, which doesn't matter, uh, but they are uh, highly ranked in Ken Palm and others. Uh, the thing I like the most about Michigan State is the 56th ranked schedule. We know Tom Izzo will always schedule hard, and that's really standing out. So many of these Big 12 and Power Conference teams have really poor schedule numbers this year. Um, so I'm, I'm much more comfortable taking them with the, that type of schedule uh, than a team like, uh, you know, like a Northwestern or some others that we'll talk about in a little bit. So uh, we'll throw to Lucas for his last four in in just a moment, but um, I was going to drill you right away on James Madison, Michigan State. I'm glad you gave a little clarity on how that process works, but I'm curious, like, is it a thing where you do the seed list and you just kind of work team by team individually, and if you get to the final point where the last two spots are teams that played head-to-head -head once, you have to take that into consideration, or is this a thing where, like, if Michigan State works their way up five spots, they're still attached to James Madison, and James Madison's going to be able to hold that over their head as Michigan State's resume improves. It might improve James Madison's resume as well. How does that work, Rocco? It almost never works that way, honestly. And we're at an immature point in the season, to, to be completely fair. We're about, the what, the 58% mark of the season, maybe 60%. I'm just guessing. Um, so we have a lot more data to get, especially for Michigan State. They're going to play a a bunch of more Big Ten games. It's not going to probably go this way or anywhere close to this in March, so I'm not, I wouldn't worry about it too much. For the for the time being, uh, it's more about James Madison, actually, Greg, because they've only played six meaningful games. They're four and two in those games, and they have two of those uh, wins in true road environments, one, of course, at East Lansing, the other in Lafayette, Louisiana, and they have an eight and one record away from home. So you start comparing all these records, James Madison's a uh, dominant uh, percentage-wise team compared to Michigan State. You know, they're four and two in the top three quads to Michigan State's eight and seven, basically 500. Michigan State is two and five away from home to Mich uh, James Madison's eight and one. I mean, so it makes it actually pretty clear across a bunch of other categories that James Madison should be above them. The, the big problem for James Madison, they, they have a poor schedule at 325. And to me, that would usually be a de facto. I try not to hold that against mid-major teams because they 
they do intend to schedule well. A lot of power teams uh, refuse to play them. And the Sun Belt this year just announced this morning uh, will play a round two against the MAC. So James Madison will get to play Akron next month. That's going to juice up their non-conference strength schedule one last time and hopefully for their sake get them out of this mess. Interesting. Yeah, thanks for the insight. All right, Lucas, let's throw it to you. Who are your last four teams in as of today? I'm closing with my last four in as Kansas State, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Wake Forest. Um, I think Rocco hit on a little bit with Syracuse, and he was just slightly ballsier than I was um, as I left Syracuse. We'll get to that soon as my second team out. Um, But when I talk about with the one seeds being uh, prioritizing those quality metrics at the top and prioritizing resume metrics towards the bottom. That's where you get these teams in the field. South Carolina's 30th across resume metrics. Ole Miss is 21st. K-State's 39th. Coupled with solid quality metrics for the, for the most part on that front. And that's where Syracuse falls short for me. Um, 82nd and a half across Ken Tom and, and BPI, which is why they fall, them, fall on the outside for me. Um, Wake Forest just barely hangs on with a five and five record across the upper two quadrants. Uh, they're barely hanging in there. 32nd across quality metrics gives them a little bit of a boost. Um, as far as comparing to Rocco's last four in, I don't think Rocco and I have ever disagreed on a team more than we do on Michigan State. Ooh, spicy. Elaborate, Lucas, please. I just can't fathom a team that's top 20 across both Ken, both Ken Palm and BPI falling towards that close to the bubble. We've seen these teams like Michigan State have 17 and 14 records and still end up on the 8-9 line. Those things happen, and I think that's where Michigan State's going to end up. We talk about James Madison having great metrics and great road wins, and, and that they're also 12-0 and 0 in quad four. Um, Michigan State has lost four of its set, five of its seven games in quad one. They've had those opportunities. They've missed them, but they're really a lot tougher games. They put themselves in great place for metric-wise. They've got a quad one A win. I think that's a group that I like a lot um, relative to where Rocco has them. I have Michigan State sitting on my nine line. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, Rocco, let's throw it to you for rebuttal here. So Lucas doesn't like where you've got Michigan State. Uh, How many of his four last four in do you currently have in your field? And how many do you have out? Yeah, so I I certainly have South Carolina in. Uh, I have Kansas State in as well. Um, And then the third one, was it Ole Miss? Um, I have Ole Miss as well. Yeah, and then Wake Forest, I actually have nowhere near, nowhere close to being in. Um, so th- I agree with him on three of the four. And my problem with Wake Forest is they just they really don't have any data yet. They they are zero and one in quad one. Um, they will play more quad one games later, I'm sure. But as of today, there's just not enough to go off of. They have a road win at Boston College. It's their only road win in the top two quadrants. Their their stri- schedule wasn't very strong. They're very average in everything else. They're four and four. Uh, when you go across the top two quadrants, five and five across the top three. And um, there are 55 ranked resume. So, you know, sometimes I look at that a little bit extra than usual. If it's a team that doesn't have appropriate data, I consider Wake Forest one of those teams. Again, they're in a power conference, so I'm not that concerned about it. If they're good enough, they're going to win those games and they're going to get in. So definitely no problem there. The whole point of predictive metrics is to predict what's going to happen next. So if the predictive metrics are correct about Wake Forest, and correct about Michigan State, they're going to make their way into my field as well. Um, but if they're wrong, then I'm going off more merits, and those teams, to me, do not have the merits. Uh, but Michigan State did did make the cut by one, I guess I could I could add. Yeah, Wake Rocco, Forest was a fact- pick, pick, one out of, pick one out of ten, I think, for me. I think I was down to ten for the last spot, and I ended up on Wake Forest. It, it, it's jumbled down the end, like really jumbled. Yeah, and that's what happens on January January twenty second every year. That that's what yes. happens. It's nothing new. I think I was so down to nasty I think I was down to I think I was down to nineteen teams for my last two spots in the field and first four out. Right. <laughs> so we have a messy bubble. We have a couple months to to hopefully provide some clarity. But uh, Rocco, I'm just curious. Have you considered the fact that it's not March yet for Michigan State, by the way? And you know, Mister March is kind of their guy. Yeah, everything gets better in March. You know, just saying. Everything you don't need to actually respond to that. <laughs> and there was a year where they played in the playing game. So it's not like impossible that this happens either. 
Of course. You're right. This is true. All right. So let's uh, let's look at our fielding the 68 consensus last four in. Uh, as you just saw from these guys, there's a lot of teams in consideration for these spots. couple teams in here that are from either Lucas or Rocco's last four in. A couple teams that are not. But we've got Ole Miss. We've got James Madison. We've got Cincinnati. And we've got Northwestern as our last four in as of today. Let's move to the first four out. We're going to throw it back at Lucas here. To go first for us, Lucas, who are your first four out? One thing I'll mention before we get back into there with the consensus last four in, um, I, at this point in the year, um, I run automatic bids based on who I expect to be the favorite going into their conference tournaments, which I use as a metric average. So James Madison is my auto bid uh, from the league right now. But as far as first four out, uh, I'm looking at Colorado, Syracuse, as I mentioned when we were talking about Rocco. I was close to doing the same thing he did this morning. I just They just keep climbing up there, that 21st in KPI. They have great uh, resume metrics. And then I've got Virginia climbing back up and Providence sticking around, um, still in the mix, even without Bryce Hopkins. Okay, so Syracuse is one that uh, is up in the air. Good to see Tony Bennett and Virginia get some love on the show and some love in the form of you're not in the tournament right now. You have work to do, but still. Uh, Rocco, let's throw it to you here. Who is your first four out? Yeah, my first four out are Nevada. Uh, took a tumbling loss at Wyoming. Again, Wyoming's actually a brutal place to play. If you've ever been there, it's the highest place in the country to play a game elevation-wise. Uh, there's a joke around here. Nobody gets higher than Wyoming. And uh, they're actually a pretty solid team. I saw them in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. But that loss really torpedoed a lot of uh, Nevada's hard work earlier this year. Another problem for Nevada is TCU has um, just fallen short in some of their cl closest games lately. And so TCU is Nevada's best win. And that's actually losing value as well. So it's kind of a double uh, double gut punch for Nevada over the weekend. So they're just barely out for me. I have Northwestern out. And mainly just because uh, Northwestern doesn't have that big road win yet. Of course, they have the big uh, home wins against Purdue and others. But uh, that Chicago State loss combined with um, some very mediocre uh, quad records right now, uh, it, it was just easier to leave them out, plus a very poor uh, non-conference strength of schedule at number 316. Um, really, when it gets this close, I have a, a brutal time putting a power conference team that's 310 or worse Northwestern kind of fits that model right now. So they're out. Cincinnati for me is out. They were in on Friday. Of course, lose at home to Oklahoma. Uh, that hurt a little bit. Not a, not a bad loss by any means, but I think just overall their resume gives us a, a few empty calories. Uh, I love the road BYU win, but we still don't really know how good BYU is either. And um, I, that poor schedule for Cincinnati, I keep going back to it. So many of these teams just scheduled so poorly. We know why Cincinnati scheduled poorly. They're joining this overwhelming Big 12. They got to get some wins somewhere. So they scheduled a bunch of wins. But now that they're a part of the bubble picture, it's really backfiring. And then um, the, the last one is Gonzaga. Uh, you know, Gonzaga's playing, playing much better in the last week. Uh, they're just not going to be able to gain that much ground in the WCC this year, unfortunately. Uh, they do have that loss to Santa Clara already, so they're not in first place as, as we record this. Um, and they had some really bad luck with – you know, they played well enough to dominate the L.A. schools, uh, and both L.A. schools are awful this year. Um, so they really just don't have that good win yet. Uh, I think for Gonzaga, that game at Kentucky is just so critical for them uh, next month. Uh, on top of they'll get St. Mary's twice, they'll get San Francisco twice. Uh, they're playing San Francisco this Thursday, in fact. Um, so Gonzaga's just not quite there, but they're clearly talented enough to make it happen. They just need some time. Is it fair to look at the West Coast Conference and say that on paper it should end up being a one-bid league this year, given the way Gonzaga's non-conference played out? What do you think, Rocco? It's possible, and it's uh, everybody's fear around here. I'll tell you that, Greg. Uh, but I think, you know, St. Mary's going in to San Francisco over the weekend and getting a very dominant road win. Uh, St. Mary's got just a crazy mix of results. They've, they've got the Colorado State road win. Got the New Mexico dominant win, so they're they're beating some good teams. They've also got the weird losses to Missouri State and Weber State, etc. Um, but I think typically the committee, when you have a team just with a, a bunch of spaghetti on both sides of the wall, like great wins and bad losses, uh, it tends to favor uh, the great wins if if it's all things being equal. 
Um, long story short, Greg, I think St. Mary's has the goods to be in right now. And if uh, that stays the case somehow by mid-March, uh, then Gonzaga can go ahead and take the auto bid or maybe a San Francisco, um, and that would get the league two bids. Lucas, you were nodding. You agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think St. Mary's has put itself in a pretty good spot over the last few weeks to get back into, I think, single-digit seed range for me. And Gonzaga, obviously, is going to have um, going to be extremely dangerous in the WC tur- WCC tournament, regardless of how well they stand in the at-large picture. Um, they're in my uh, next four out um, as it stands right now. But we do disagree on Cincinnati um, and Northwestern, both of which I have um, in the field right now. Um, Cincinnati, to me, I think – yeah, we don't really know what BYU is, but if we're going to treat the net as the sorting tool, it's the fifth best road win in the country. Uh, and, and that carries a ton of weight right now for me because not many teams have a road win that that great on the bubble. Uh, and same with Northwestern. It, it just looking at top-level wins right now in, in terms of bubble teams, Purdue and Dayton um, are two really good wins that are hard for other teams to match right now. Okay. Uh, Northwestern is one I was going to drill you guys both on quickly. Um, it, it is good to know we're in differing spots on Northwestern, so maybe you guys will have a different answer to this. But that Chicago State loss, I'm curious, if you just remove that one bad loss, say they won that game, how drastically different is their seed today? We'll go to Rocco first, then I want Lucas's thoughts too. Well, I think it's drastically different. It wouldn't change their schedule strength, which is my biggest concern at 316, but it would get away, get that loss out of there, which of course in turn would make their net better, would make their uh, performance metrics better. You know, even if you just give them a one point win, right? Um, it it would probably be enough. I, I had Northwestern in on Friday. So uh, that, that loss to Nebraska over the weekend threw some of their records off uh, just enough to where, you know, you're looking at a team uh, kind of all over the board. They're almost 80th in net. They're 78th right now, and uh, but their resume is still 35th. So it's 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 tough because you can look at it that way and find a home for them. But typically, combining combining all that with a 316th ranked schedule this close to the cut line, uh, I'm not a, I'm not in favor of that. Lucas, yeah, we aren't far off. Northwestern is the first team not in my last four in, they're my fifth to last team in. Um, right now, I, I don't think we're that far off there. I think that's – but the the um, loss to Chicago State's huge. I mean, that's probably one that keeps you a seed line um, right now. I mean, that's – I mean, if you just want to look at the stuff that does change, I mean, Ken Palm at the time is a 26-spot drop from the Chicago State loss. And obviously, even if you win that game, it's probably still a significant drop by efficiency standards. But but it's 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 a big game that's, that's really drastically changed their outlook and will continue to change their outlook. Almost, they probably have, like, as much as the Chicago State loss has killed them and will continue to kill them, Dayton has aged remarkably well. Yeah, you're right. That's getting better and better as the season goes on. It's uh. Yeah, just one of those ones that from afar you can't even believe it happened, and then you look back and you see this team right on the cut line. Like, how different would it really be? It's one result different. Uh, let's look at our consensus uh, first four out real quick, and you guys can tell me what stands out to you here. It's Wake Forest, it's Syracuse, it's Oregon, and it is Texas. Lucas, we'll go to you first. Uh, what jumps out at you from this being our consensus fielding the 68 first four out? No complaints to me. Um, all these teams are either in my last uh, last team in or within my first six teams out right now. I think this is about right. I think these teams are all going to be battling in what is uh, honestly a consensus first four out. We give our first four out, but I think if we went, we could easily go first 16 out right now. And I think we're all going to think that there's at least an argument that you can make for a lot of those teams right now. You go deep in, You can go deep into the vault right now and pick out some teams that you can at least make an argument for. And an argument that for that's like not just now, but like they can come from not being in a in a field right now or being in less than five fields on bracket matrix to like be a consensus team within a week, week and a half. Is that Lucas Harkins advocating for expanding the field on the fly? Is that what I'm hearing? It is not. It is not. It's a it's a it's, it's Lucas Harkins advocating for two more months of data points. Understood. Understood. Rocco, what jumped out at you from our consensus first four out? Lucas, your wish will be granted, so you're all good. Um, yeah, my, I feel great you know, Yeah, 
Um, I, so Texas, I, we didn't touch on Texas, and I'll touch on Oregon as well. Um, you know, Texas, great win, bounce back win after the you know the kind of crazy loss to UCF. There, um, it kind of looked like they were unstable. Got back on track, and not only got back on track, but the Baylor win makes them really interesting again as a candidate. Uh, the problem still, I think, for Texas is they're four and five in meaningful games. They have nine quad four games that really you can dismiss mostly. Um, the road win at Cincinnati is great as well, um, but I just think they're they're a win or two short. If they get another big win or two without another loss, they'll probably end up back in for me. Um, and then to Oregon, um, I do have Oregon in again as my automatic Pac-12 uh, leader, uh, but uh, they would be my first team out with it with an at-large evaluation, and that's primarily because they're uh, four and five away from home, uh, so not quite where you want them to be away from home, especially with the competition they've played. Um, their main road wins are the Washington schools, which are tough places to go win, uh, but neither of those are tournament caliber level road wins. And um, really their best win right now is at Washington State. So they kind of need a, another tournament level win or an abundance of quad two level wins. Uh, so they're just right there, but not quite enough for the Ducks. Texas, right, great to me is, Texas to me is just a team that we could see single-digit seed in two weeks we could see in the same spot we could see off the picture altogether i mean there might not be a more important five-game stretch in the country than at oklahoma at byu houston at home at tcu iowa state at home that's brutal yeah the life in the big 12. that's a great segue when we come back from break uh we are going to dissect the big 12. how many bids will this league get who are the locks who are the bubble teams that's coming up next on fielding the 68. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
We're back here live on Field of 68, the Field of 68's Bracketology Show presented by Rhythm. I got Lucas Harkins with me. I got Rocco Miller with me. My name is Greg Waddell. Uh, we're going to fly through the final 15 minutes of this show. We got a lot to get to. Let's start in the Big 12 Conference. For my money, it's the best conference in college basketball. I joked in the first segment of this show that this could be a 12-bid league. It's a joke. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, I think there's 12 teams in this league who think they can get to the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, Lucas, who are the locks in the Big 12 to make the NCAA tournament? You know, I think it's only three true locks. Like, I really hesitate to use the word lock in bracketology. Like, it's really, really tough to get there. Like, I think Houston, Kansas, Baylor is the lock category. But I feel pretty good. I think I, I separate this into three tiers at the top of teams that I think are going to get in. Houston, Kansas, Baylor in the lock territory. I feel really good about BYU, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. And I feel pretty good about Texas Tech and TCU. Okay. Rocco, your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that nobody's a lock on January 22nd, Greg. Uh, when you when you can lose your next 15 games, uh, Houston's not getting in, even Houston. So you got to earn it, baby. Um, but otherwise, I would say um, it's a 14-team league. We covered it a little bit at the top. There's – Two game days a week. Everybody plays midweek. Everybody plays Saturdays. Seven teams are going to win. Seven teams are going to lose. This happens every year, even in the you know the ten team Big Twelve. It's just going to be extrapolated out a little bit with fourteen teams. The key is, and remember this in March, you need to be at least two games over five hundred. You probably need to be at least three games over five hundred. Your overall record. So the teams that took a couple losses in non-conference. I'm talking to you, UCF, who lost to Stetson. I'm, you know, I'm talking to teams like that that took some losses they shouldn't have. It could really cost you in a league like this because the, the margins are insanely thin uh, outside of maybe West Virginia and Oklahoma State, but even them can knock teams off, just ask Kansas. So um, the teams I like right now, I have eight in today. That's Houston, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas Tech, BYU, and Kansas State. And then I have Cincinnati, TCU, and Texas all right next to the bubble within that next eight to ten out um, and so um, those teams are going to mix and match throughout the year and I, I do think that eight number that I'm at today is a pretty a pretty good guess at where we're going to land Rocco you got stones man you never know who could be watching this show but if Bill Self happens to be tuned into this right now you just looked Bill Self in the eyes and told him he's not a lock to make the NCAA tournament my friend that takes stones uh Rocco says eight teams in the big 12 that's the number to keep an eye on three teams that are right on the cut line Lucas do you agree that that's the key number to keep an eye on for this conference yeah I think I think nine is the number to look at if you're big 12 like I think that should be the goal for the big 12 like, I think the bull should the goal should be able to get nine in this year because I think that's very reasonable um, to think they can get there but I think most realistic Rocco's right I think that they're going to beat up on each other enough to where that gets to eight. Interesting. Okay. Uh, is that the league with the most teams by far? Like, is anybody else sniffing eight teams this season? SEC is close. SEC yeah. got eight last year, and it's not too far off this year. So, we, and that's the only, that's the only competition for it, too. Yeah. And I think the SEC is yeah. the only competition for it. Percentage of bids, different story, maybe. Like, you can maybe get. You can get seven from the big. They're from the Big East, and that's seven out of eleven. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, got it. You're not okay. getting more than seven. Uh, yep. No. What? What's? What's the higher number? Number of Big Twelve teams in the NCAA tournament, or Pac-12 plus ACC teams in the NCAA tournament? It's a Monday night. You're making me do math. <laughs> I thought I was over. I thought I was over. You're the experts. You're the experts. So the question was, let me make sure I got this right. Pac-12 plus ACC or or Big 12 total? Yeah, I'll take so the Big 12 total. The, I was going to say, if we're marking the Big 12 at eight, are you taking Pac-12 yeah, plus a, ACC over there? Can I take the draw? I think it's going to be eight to eight. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is why uh, I've spent way too much time doing sports betting in my life, gentlemen. That's what I've learned about this. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the Big 12. Is okay. that something right. you can actually bet on? If I have, if you're setting it at eight, if you set it at seven and a half, I'll take the eight. If you set it at eight and a half, I'll take the eight. But if you're setting it at eight and I got to pick a side, I think I'll take the twelve. 
That's a fun one to come back to. We will have to revisit that later in the season. There's a couple teams I want to quickly ask you guys about. There's three of them, in fact. Uh, I want to start with the Memphis Tigers. Memphis has had a disastrous week, two straight losses coming into today. Uh, Look, this was the number 10 team in the AP poll, I believe, a week ago. That's sliding rapidly. How much has their last week changed their seeding to you? Let's start with Rocco. Yeah, it, it, it definitely changed. I mean, they had a they did some great work in the non-conference and uh, they, you know, they put themselves in great position. I think my first bracket middle of last week had them uh, as high as a three seed. Uh, they dropped all the way to my lowest six seed this morning after going through the evaluation. I think it's important to remind everybody um, that every time you go out and take the court, it's one piece of your story. Uh, your story is usually 31 games long in the regular season and then you have your conference tournament sample at the end if the committee is uh, able to watch your game, which don't count on that. But uh, out of those 31 games, you know, so those two pieces of their story was not good, but they have other parts of their story, the win at Texas A&M, the win over Clemson, those other things still matter just as much. Um, And whatever happens next week is going to mean just as much. That's the beauty of this. So, um, you know, right now today, just comparing them to everybody else, they're 24th overall for me in, and still holding on to the six seed line, but yeah, it was a day, it was a scary week basketball wise because in both of those losses, Greg, with four plus minutes to go, they didn't score a point. It was just a total collapse. It went ice cold in both both losses, so they've got a lot of stuff to fix. Yeah, scary times for Penny Hardaway's group right now. Uh, Lucas, where do you have Memphis right now on the lines? Yeah, I've just been lower on Memphis, I think, than Rocco all along. I think our drop was similar. He went from three to six. I went from five to eight. Um, I just, it's one quad one win at this point in the year with a quad three loss. I think I don't have a problem with seeing them as high as a six seed right now. And I think I wouldn't put them any lower than I have them either. Um, I think I'm on the, on the low end with where Memphis is right now. Um, but I think that they're in a place that needs to just kind of recover. I think that they, they built up enough goodwill to afford a week like they've had, and now it's time to recover and regain that footing. Yeah, work to do. Uh, A lot of interesting results in that conference right now. Both Memphis and Florida Atlantic keep flirting with disaster. So uh, me thinks we'll still be talking about those teams in the weeks to come on this program. Another one I want to ask you guys about, the Princeton Tigers. Lucas, I'll throw to you first here. How high do you think that Princeton can rise on the seed list? I I have a hard time seeing it get super high. I, I love this group. I think they're really good. 7-1 7-1 on the road is phenomenal, uh, but they haven't played a quadrant one game and they're not going to play a quadrant one game. Uh, and, and that's really where it, where it settles. And I think that it's going to be hard to get up higher without being able to tack on a quality win or even have a quality opportunity at one. Uh, I could see them getting into an 8-9 game, but I, I don't like it's about the, 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 the extent of it for me. Rocco? Yeah, I, I mostly agree with the synopsis Lucas delivered. I think, um, you know, the, the fact that they can't get a quad one opportunity hurts. At the same time, you can, you can do a little Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hiding, if you're in that situation. Um, Houston, to a, a much different degree in the American Conference, didn't have a lot of data to look at uh, either. Obviously, a much higher level. But um, at Princeton's level, the, uh, the Ivy League's the best Ivy League um, I've seen in the last probably 20 years in terms of depth. So I, uh, if, if Princeton can get through that thing, there's going to be some more good wins. Their next game is against Cornell, in fact. That's a huge game. Uh, Cornell is a juggernaut themselves. And then you still have two games with Yale. That's a great team that I just saw last week. So it's um, I, I think they could actually reach up to about a six or a seven. We saw Murray State get to a seven just a couple of years ago with a dominant record and really no data. Uh, we saw Buffalo under Nate Oates get all the way to a five. We saw Wofford get to a seven. We saw Belmont uh, get in as an at-large. With you know a lot of the, all these teams, the, the similarities to Princeton are not a lot of data to look at. So you have to kind of depend on some of these resume metrics and also just respect the fact that they won all these dang games on the road. And it's also a team I think the committee might give a little bit more lenience to based on the fact they made a Sweet 16 run last year. Um, so I do think they could reach about, about a six seed. I'm kind of hedging between that five and seven. Yeah. I like your point on, uh, I like your point on what they did last year too. 
uh, let, let's remember, let's remember that run because all of a sudden they were in the Sweet 16. Everyone was like, "Huh?" And now this team's 15 and one, very enjoyable team to watch. This week will be huge at Cornell, at Yale. You win both of those games; those are the two toughest road opponents they've got left on the schedule. Uh, they'd be in a really, really, really good spot. Last team I want to ask you guys about is a metrics darling. It's BYU. This team is the 10th rated team on Ken Palm. This team is two and three in Big 12 play in their first run in the Big 12. They are a top 10 team in the country on Ken Palm. They are two and three in Big 12 play. I repeat, something's not adding up for me. Uh, look, I, people that are smarter than me have explained to me why they are so high, but how do you go about seeding a team like BYU based on what they've done thus far, Rocco? It's tricky at this point because at this point, there's just not a lot of evidence at the high end of what they're capable of. You know, if you look at the high end, they've lost four of their six toughest games. They're two and four. Uh, and then, of course, they just destroyed so many teams in the 250-plus range, right? So um, that's kind of gamed the numbers a little bit. Metrics, darling, fair, fair name for them. Um, but I do think when you're in the Big 12, I'm really not that concerned about it because these next eight weeks – are going to tell us everything we need to know about BYU. There's no more Pacifics. There's no more Pepperdines. There's no more, um, you know, easy wins in the WCC to kind of help you recover. They're going night in, night out through the gauntlet. And so if they're a really good team at this level, their numbers will stay. If they start to tumble, if they take some butt kickings down in Texas, things like that, they're not going to stay top five in the metrics. So um, I'm really kind of depending on this Big 12 gauntlet to tell us exactly who BYU is. And um, I'm okay with that. And so for, for me, I'm more of a, I'll, once you prove it to me, I'll give it to you kind of person. So I still have BYU today as a seven seed, because uh, even though their performance says top two or three seed, that I don't think they deserve that yet. So Rocco's essentially telling us wait and see, or maybe for him, it's more of a wait and seed approach. Uh, Lucas, where, where do you have BYU right now? Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to let that slide. That was good. Um, I think he's right on. I, I don't think that there's there's really any argument to be made on the metrics right now. Like, it makes a difference in where we seed them now. But you put them in the Big 12, and Rocco's right. Either the rankings will be right or the results will be right. Um, it's going to go one of, the, one of the two ways. If they play great in the Big 12, the rankings will stay elite, and they will have deserved them. And if they struggle in the Big 12, the rankings will drop. Um, I'm with him. Uh, I'm a little bit higher. I'd be where he was a five seed, but it's kind of just, uh, it really is for them. It's kind of a pick your spot and where you want to be. They're going to be the ones that figure out where they're going to go um, relative to where their, their rankings deserve them to be over the next month and a half. Yeah. Fun team to pay attention to. All right. We've got a bunch of good games to watch this week. I'm going to ask you both to give me two games to watch that you're keeping your eye on for this week. Uh, Lucas, let's start with you. What are your two games to watch this week in college basketball from a bracketology perspective that you've got your eye on? Uh, let me start with Villanova St. John's. I think these are two teams that I have on the right side of the cut line right now, um, but both in that 8 to 10 seed range. Um, I think that's a big one for both teams to kind of get some consistency going is if they can pick one of those up, if Villanova can add one on the road, uh, St. John's can defend their home court against Villanova. I think there's a lot that can go there. Um, secondly, Vermont at UMass Lowell. Uh, I think this is a big game. Uh, Vermont's hosted the America East tournament for years. UMass Lowell is kind of their best competition they've had. Um, and if UMass Lowell is going to take the America East, they're going to have to probably have home court advantage um, in the America East tournament. And they can get an opportunity to build up some some momentum there if they're able to knock off Vermont at home. Um, if they don't, it's going to be a tough sledding to knock Vermont off of the AAC title. All right, you heard it here first. Those are Lucas's game to watch. Rocco, what are your two to keep an eye on this week? Well, we got to go back to BYU. They're hosting Houston. Yeah, Marriott Center is going to be rocking 15,000 strong. I'm sure it's going to be sold out two hours before tip-off. Houston's already dropped at both TCU and Iowa State. So, again, if BYU does that, they kind of show, hey, we're just as good as those guys. They can start to, you know, uh, that's one of the best home wins you can get, probably the best home win you can get in this league so far. Um, so we're going to learn a lot. Also, like from Houston's perspective, they still need a big road win, so that would help them. Um, so whoever wins that game is going to come out of it feeling really good. Uh, and then I also just a tricky one to, uh, for tomorrow as well. Uh, I have Nebraska barely in. Ohio State's not completely out of the picture. They're, you know, they're probably 10, 15, 20 teams uh, behind the cut line. But 
they're going to Nebraska. Nebraska, obviously, a tough place to win. Great opportunity for Ohio State to get back in the picture if they get the road win. And for Nebraska, these are the types of games, if you are truly a tournament game, they're a tournament team, you have to win these types of games on a consistent basis. So will Nebraska rise to the occasion and, and stay on this trajectory, or will this be the opportunity for Ohio State to turn around their season a little bit? Good shouts there from Rocco. I'm going to throw – I'm going to throw two of mine in quickly. Auburn at Alabama. Uh, Auburn, still not sure they've beaten an NCAA tournament team. 16-2, and two guys. Uh, could they work their way up near your guys' one lines if they get a road win? Uh, and then Illinois at Northwestern, that Northwestern team that's so polarizing. You both spoke about them right on the cut line. Big opportunity for them to knock down Terrence Shannon in the Illini. This was Fielding the 68. Thank you for everybody watching our first episode this season. We'll be here every Monday and Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. For Lucas Harkins, for Rocco Miller, my name is Greg Waddell, and we will see you Friday on the greatest bracketology show in college basketball. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.